Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Lots of chatter going on. Lots of connection this morning, talking amongst ourselves with family. So it's good to have you guys. Uh, we are going to come together and we are going to worship Jesus. We are going to lift his name up. Um, we had a wonderful time of prayer this last week. Thank you so much for those of you who came. And um, we are just seeing God do some amazing things in our midst. And um, we're going to honor him and we're going to worship him and we're going to glorify his name because he is so worthy. So this morning, will you stand with us if you're able? Let's worship Jesus. We're expecting this morning of really what he wants to do and how he wants to move through his spirit. So, Father, we just come in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we are so thankful that we have been given this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful gift, Lord, of restoration, of reconciliation, Lord, to come and worship you. God, thank you that you have given us pure, clean, holy hearts, Lord. God, and we can come to you because of that. Lord, there is nothing that separates us. There is nothing that keeps us away from you, Lord, because Jesus made a way for us, and it was a door that was opened, and no man can shut it, Lord. Thank you for the grace of your goodness that has been poured out in our lives, Lord, today. We worship you and we honor you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Let's worship together, y'all. Faithfully 
darkness rejoice though heaven had lost Find 
share her testimony real quick with us. I love the words in that first song that death was arrested and my life began. In January of 2017, my life was changed dramatically when I was diagnosed with a tumor on my tongue. On the 1st of February that same year, 2017, in an eight-hour surgery, the doctors removed my, the, the tumor from my tongue. They removed a third of my tongue and they took a piece of, of flesh from my arm and a vein and they reconstructed it. They told me it was possible that I would never be able to speak again. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't keep me from talking. They told me that I might have nerve damage. They told me... It just so many things that could happen. But I went through the surgery and I came through it. And I went through radiation and I came through it. And it was tough. But as I was going through some of the things I wrote down in my journal some of the things that was going on and one scripture that God gave me early on it was in March of, of 2017 was Philippians 1:29. he said for it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ 
that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. When I heard that, I'm like, okay, God, I trust you. You got this. And then I was reading a, a devotional by Spurgeon, uh, Charles Spurgeon. It says, and it said, if none of God's saints were poor and tried, we should not know half so well the consolations of divine grace. He who would glorify God must set his account upon meeting many trials. No man can be illustrious before the Lord unless his conflicts be many. If then yours be a much tried path, rejoice in it because you will the better show forth the all-sufficient grace of God. As for his failing you, never dream of it. Hate the thought. The God who has been sufficient until now should be trusted to the end. And those things, they just, they just held me up. They buoyed me up. They encouraged me. I want to read to you a poem that I wrote. It's, it's my, my testimony in poetry form. And I titled it, God's Got This, because those three words resonated through my spirit over and over and over again throughout those months. As I walked in to get results of tests my doctor ran, there was no fear within my heart, for I was in God's hands. There is a tumor in your tongue. We don't know why it's there. For you don't smoke and you don't drink. That makes this quite rare. I drove back home still filled with peace. I could not be afraid. God's got this echoed in my mind. And in his hands, I stayed. I went to see the surgeon next. He told me what he'd do. He said, I might not talk again. He'd do what he could do. The surgery took many hours. I went through lots of pain. God used him to repair my tongue, and I can speak again. The radiation that came next brought constant pain and heat. My burning mouth, my swollen face made me not want to eat. But through it all, my God was near. I felt such peace within. I never had a moment's fear. What a precious gift from him. I've seen him answer many prayers. My trust and peace have grown. And while I'm still recovering, I know I'm not alone. God has been so good to me. That was in 2017. And I went back to see my doctor this year. And last week on Wednesday, I celebrated my sixth anniversary of being cancer-free by the grace of God. My doctor told me that most people that go through this kind of surgery, they don't last that long. But God had something else in mind. Amen, Amen you guys. We're going to do this song again. 
There is a roar in you that who God is for you. The Bible says that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He is our deliverer, and that's one testimony of being cancer-free in this house for a lot of years. We have Lawrence, who's cancer-free for multiple years. We have Alta from thyroid, cancer-free multiple years. If that doesn't cause a roar in you to worship the King of Kings, I don't know if there anything is. So we're going to worship. Let's all stand. If you need healing in your body, if you need healing in your body, Jesus is healer. He is our healer. So we just come right now, Lord. We let this, this lion, this roar of who you are inside of us, Lord. It's not just to roar at the enemy, but God, it's to roar praises to the one who defeated the enemy. Lord, this morning we worship you and we honor you. We thank you for the testimonies again and again in this house of healing. And Lord, we just declare that it's on the increase. It's on the rise. It is, it is raising, Lord. And we thank you for that, Jesus. We worship you. Amen. Let's worship together, y'all. So come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. You got
Lord. Amen. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you bring life. You bring life to every dead place. We worship you this morning. Jesus, thank you for your great love for us. Lord, it is limitless. It is immeasurable. It is unending. Lord, it cannot be contained. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this great love that restores and heals and delivers. Lord, we worship you this morning. Yeah, amen. Amen. We serve a mighty God. I don't know about y'all, but I remember back in the mid-80s whenever um, Dave and I got saved, there was a song, What a Mighty God We Serve. We're not going to go into it or anything, but we do. We serve a mighty God. There is no rival that can stand against him. The Word of God says that if God be for you, who or what can stand against you? And it cannot. So this morning we're thankful and we celebrate that we serve a mighty God. And he wants to intervene with that might and power in our lives here, through us, with one another, and to people outside of these four walls. So, um, so we're just grateful that you're here with us this morning. Um, if you have a testimony, you can go to our website and um, fill out the information there. And we love keeping the testimonies of the Lord's goodness in this house because it is a revelation of his character and his nature for him to do it again in someone else's life. So if you're new with us this morning, go to DothanCF.com. Connect on the um, uh, connection card. I'm new here. We'd love to get a little bit of your information. Love to find out a little bit about your story. You can find out about our story and how they are interwoven. Um, because if there's connection, it's like let's walk and do this thing life together. So um, our grace teams we launched last week. So if you have not signed up for a grace team, we're going to ask you today to sign up over on under the map over there. Um, we've got multiple different teams that you can serve in. Um, we love bringing our strength. There is a gift on your life that actually causes this local body to grow and to build itself up in love. So sign up today and bring your strength. Um, we are going to, um, on the 17th, 19th, sorry, on the 19th, Greg and Michelle um, are going to be here. It's Greg and Michelle Haswell. Um, they are the founding pastors at Northlands Church in Atlanta, where we planted out from. We love them. We have been in relationship with them for um, about 17, 18 years, and they love DCF. We are in their hearts, and so we love when they come because it strengthens, and it, they just love the body, and very much an apostolic prophetic calling on their lives. They walk in that office. And so we are, um, we're going to love them being here with us, you guys. So our community groups, they are launching in a couple of weeks, y'all. Um, community is what we do here. We get together and we journey in this thing called life with each other so that we can walk along whatever life struggles are and what's going on, the good, the bad, ugly, and, and be, be there for one another. So we just want you guys to be on the lookout we're going to be having those up on the website so you can see what all's going on at DCF and where you can plug in. So um, I'm going to ask Gay Lynn to go ahead and be coming up. Um, thank you for giving generously in the house, and we're so thankful for that. Um, so we're just glad that that happens and it occurs. Lives are transformed 
because you give and there's opportunities within and amongst one another and in this local church and this local body. So thank you for your generosity. And Galen's going to let y'all know about some, uh, what we're doing. We announced it last week about having the kids and everything out here in the side for you for after service. Remember, it's after service. It's not in the transition. It's after service, okay? So um, this is Galen's information. So the month of January, the kids and I talked about identity, about who they are, who they are in Christ, who they are, you know, the, all of their, all of who they are was purposely built. So when you go out here, there is a table, and there is a picture of each child that's a regular part of our church. It's in a matted frame. There are pins there. I'm asking the congregation to put blessings and words for each child on each one of those. If you have a long thing to write, there are um, little three-by-five cards. You can use those and kind of stick it underneath. It's going to be up this week and next week, and then next week the parents get to take these home, frame them for their kids so that they can see the life and the identity that their church, their family spoke into them. So um, after church, please stop by, take a look, and write uh, a verse, a word, a story for each of the kids. Thank you. And on that note, kids, let's go. How's everybody doing? Wave at me if you're happy. Wave at me if you're not happy. Don't, don't do that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't you hate when pastors try to make things interactive? Turn to your neighbor and say, I just hate. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> if you're new, I apologize. <laughs> I have a strange sense of humor. Anybody can tell you that. But if you knew what my sense of humor could be without Jesus, you would be just praising the Lord all the time. <laughs> I want to start a new series today. We, uh, we talked a lot last, uh, last two or three weeks about uh, discovering our purpose. We talked about grace teams. Grace teams are how we do ministry here at DCF. And Karen mentioned that, that that's a, it's a beautiful way to serve the body of Christ. And by serving the body of Christ, we build ourselves up, <clears throat> build the church up, one another in love. And what that does is it releases us to take the gospel into the world and, and reach people who don't know, know Jesus. And just I don't know about you guys, but the more I watch what's happening in the world, a part of it is, you know, the world hasn't changed that much. It's just our ability to get the information about it has changed a whole lot. It's literally instant now. I mean, it's just, and in, in, if, if you're wondering, sometimes it can be overwhelming. I don't know if you know this, but even the modern televisions have an off button, and like your phone 
Um, Apple tried to not put an off button on the phone, but some, I guess somebody required it. And so there's an off button on all these things. So maybe take a break from media if you can. But there's a real challenge in the world out there. And part of, the, and part of what we are called to do is to, to grow up in who God made us to be. So learning about our gifts, learning about the strengths that God's placed on our life. And the reason why is because the church is the hope of the world, right? And, and I, I remember going through this as a, as a young believer going, Lord, I don't understand why you do things the way you do. And then I figured out I, um, that um, I wasn't God, and that was like super helpful <laughs> when I discovered that I didn't have to know how he was doing everything. Um, so I learned a lot in the process, I've, and, and I, I pray that God is doing that in you as you're learning and you're growing. But as you discover your purpose, part of the whole idea behind that is it's the picture in the, in the New Testament is uh, John talks about this, or First John he talks about little children, and he talks about salvation, understanding grace and knowing who you are, being born again. Um, he says, he speaks to young men, and he says, young men, these are some of the things that you need to do. And then he says, fathers. So it's a very, very interesting transition that he uses, that this, this picture of spiritual maturity going through you know, ch- uh, childhood, young adult, and then eventually a father. And so that's kind of what this series is about that we're starting. This is called Spiritual Maturity. And so there's a lot about that. If you go Google it online, there's a ton of information about, about spiritual maturity. But again, if you picture, of it, picture it like a family and understand there's a growth process um, that when you start out, there's a whole lot of things that you don't know. But you've been born again, and being born again is a big, big part of being a believer. Right, like, like, really, like the 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 biggest part of being a believer is being born again, and so the whole concept. Even Jesus said to to you know to this older man in Israel, he said in in John three, he said you have to be born again, you must be born again, and he said I don't understand what you're talking about. That makes no sense to be born again, and so Jesus helped him understand, and he talked about the wind. He said he said the wind goes, he said it blows where it goes. You can't see it, but you can see the effects of it. And spiritual maturity is the same way. And he talked about that, this, this being born again. You can't necessarily see it all the time, but you see the effects and you see the, the consequences of decisions that you make about your walk in the Lord. And so, again, we finished this series uh, recently just talking about the grace gifts and how God has wired you. So if, you're, if you've never looked into that, um, go take a look, because so often what we do with those grace gifts is we use them for work, we use them in selfish ways, and there's nothing wrong with using, using them for ourselves. God built them inside of us. They're natural, but they're natural out, outworkings of uh, who, who God or what God put inside of us, but they're supernatural in origin. And so if you don't know that, you don't understand the reason why God made you the way you, he, he made you. It's one of the things we're talking about like right now in our kids' church is about identity and helping kids understand how God made them, who he made them to be, and, and more importantly, we sang this in, during our worship songs, that our identity is we are loved by God. That is who we are. We are sons, right? We're no longer slaves. We're, 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 we're not cast aside. We've been bought with a price. Everything about that is God saying, this is who I say you are. So you can choose to believe that or not. And the consequences for either decision are going to become apparent at some point. So uh, we talked about uh, manifestation gifts a little bit, about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you grew up in a Pentecostal circle, you understand these. They're 1 Corinthians 12. They call them the power gifts. Um, there's a bunch of those in there, and, and we're not going to do a study on those right now. But these are all tools that God uses to not just to bless us, but to bless others. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've been 
praying for someone, and God gave me a word of knowledge about them, and I would share that with them, and their eyes, all of a sudden their eyes just get real big, and they're like, how did you know that? And I'm like, well, secretly, <laughs> I, sometimes I mess with people, but what I tell them is, I, I didn't know that, but God did because he's the one who made you, and part of him giving me that information that you could, you know, that I couldn't know, and then sharing with you is an indicator of how he feels about you and a reminder that he knows this about you, he put it inside of you, and now you hear it from an outside source, if you will, and your confidence begins to rise. And what God's trying to do is to get you to believe what he says about you, not what you think, not what the world thinks, not any of those things, but what he says about you, right? And so we talked about manifest, manifestation gifts, how these are tools and they break out. It's kind of like, think of a, the grace gifts like a river that flows. It's always there, but sometimes in, in the flowing of the grace gifts that are seeming, seemingly natural, even though they're supernatural in origin, that, that something gets kind of blocked up. And imagine a river with a log jam. And the manifestation gifts in so many ways are like um, throwing dynamite into that log jam. And what will happen is it, it's a massive momentary explosion that, that often just, it's a breakthrough in a huge way and it releases and allows the river of God's grace to flow in you and through you. It's a powerful, powerful thing. And those, grace, or those manifestation gifts are super dangerous, which is why they're so powerful. Which is also why you see in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to a church who was walking in all these gifts and said, your meetings are doing more harm than good. It's like everybody gets, a, you know, you get a stick of dynamite and you get a stick of dynamite and this seven-year-old gets a stick of dynamite and we light them and see what happens. Not a good idea, right? Also, it's interesting in a lot of those gifts, Paul writes and he says two at the most three in a service. Why? Why did Paul limit the Holy Spirit, Right? And the answer is, there's something about their meetings that was going wrong, and God was using the gifts and the ministry he'd put inside of people, but what was happening is they were losing the theme, they were using them in selfish ways, they were doing all they were just abusing and misusing the gifts that God had given them. So imagine dynamite, you know, like that. And so Paul just says, hey, I want to talk to you about the right way to use these kind of powerful gifts so that you don't damage one another or damage the world, you actually are helpful, Right? And then we talked about uh, the fivefold gifts. And so we put uh, just these lists up here. The, the fivefold gifts are equipping gifts. Ephesians 4 talks about that. And I'm actually going to read that because I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. And then I'm going to do something I don't often do. I'm going to let you into my head for a little while. Some of you guys are like, I'm leaving right now. <laughs> I'm not letting you all the way in, okay? So just let's be honest about that. It's frightening even for me. But Ephesians 4 speaks to these equipping gifts, okay? And so imagine, you know, river is the grace. Um, the uh, manifestation gifts are like, a, like dynamite. And these gifts are, are leadership equipping gifts that in, in many ways oversee the operation of all these things happening so that they happen, they happen well. So that the river stays on course, so that, that, you know, people get dynamite, but they learn how to use the dynamite in the right way. That the river doesn't take, uh, take a turn because of the grace gifts are being used selfishly. It doesn't take a turn into selfish use and where your meetings and your life is actually doing more harm than good. And so, anyway, this is, this is Ephesians 4. Um, it says, he himself, this is talking about Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And here's why he gave them. He said, I gave them for the equipping of the saints. So let me just stop right there for a second. Just pause. Um, the reason these gifts exist are for the equipping of the saints. Now here's the thing. These gifts are gifts that God gave you. 
Jesus says, I, I ascended, and when I ascended, I gave gifts to men. These are gifts for you. Doesn't mean that these gifts also can't be misused, mishandled, abused. And we've, many of us have experienced that, been, been church hurt really, really badly. And I get that. I have too. And I've hurt others. I've used this gift immaturely because I didn't know any better and no one ever taught me. Um, I, I misused these and abused these, especially when I was younger. But the challenge is, if we don't have them, because about, about every 10 to 15 years, there's this movement in the church that we don't need the church. We can just, you know, we don't need organized religion, we can just have a Bible study, we can just love Jesus, we just don't need all that foolishness. And, and it's just a lie from the pit because, again, part of the gifts that God gives in the organization and why we meet on Sundays is not just so I can get up here and, and talk, although that is a big part of having equipping ministries speak into the lives of believers, right? Um, and Sunday morning is a great time to do that. It's also apostolic vision, where we go as a local church, the unity that we all have to point us in the direction of what has God called us to do as a local church that's different from some of the other churches, local churches in, in our city. And so there's a lot of things that are, are the same, but there are some things that are a little bit different. So he says, these are for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry. Anybody discovered yet that ministries work? Anybody? Like when you need to show up, and you're like, I'm tired. I'm tired too, but here we are, <laughs> right? I'm tired. I don't want to go to work. You don't want to go to work, but we go to work because there's something beautiful on the other side of work, right? And so we understand in a place of maturity that there are times when I don't want to do things, but I've, I'm not letting my feelings determine what I'm actually going to accomplish in my life. We all, that's kind of a sign of maturity. So he goes on, he says, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, to, to build the body of Christ up. That's a big part of it. And then he said, Till. This is how long this is supposed to occur. So if you're wondering whether the five gold, fivefold gifts are still valid today, listen to the scripture. Verse 13, these are valid till we all come to the unity of the faith. Have we gotten there yet? Anybody want a positive answer? Okay. To the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Now, that doesn't mean perfect that there's no flaws. It means mature in every way. And then he goes on to describe what perfect looks like, right? And he says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Do you look like Jesus yet? Well, I hope you look like Jesus some, right? And the idea behind that is to grow into looking like the fullness of the stature, the full stature of Jesus, to grow, to look like Jesus looked. The, the Bible says in Antioch, they were first called Christians. Little Christ is what that word meant. They, were, they looked at them and said, you're just like your rabbi. <gasps> and Jesus is like, yes. Wait, maybe you didn't do that, but I'm doing that, right? So he says, it goes on, he says, to the fullness of Christ, in verse 14, so that we should no longer be children. Wait, what? So he said it's time to grow up, and part of these equipping ministries are so you don't stay a child. Now, very, very few people grow up without anybody helping them, right? You get that, that the kid who was born in the woods and was raised by wolves or whatever, right? There's a popular movie out recently about a young woman who's like raised herself in the swamp and you saw how many problems she had, right? But just, again, we're not, we were never designed to be by ourselves, and we know that. He says, um, so that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Because that's what happens to children. One of the ways you know that you're not growing up in the faith is if you're constantly vacillating between 
truths or wonder, you know, I'm doubting or I'm or not just doubting. That happens from time to time. But I'm 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 going way over here or I'm going way over here. I'm way up. I'm way down. There's no even keel. It's just constant. You're all over the place. You know, is Jesus really real? Is is he really the truth? Does heaven really exist? And you go through all these doctrines, which were just truths of Scripture, and you're tossed to and fro. Because there's worldly wisdom that's coming at you that you see literally every day. We expose our, that's why I made the joke about the off button. Because so often we don't push the off button on what the world is saying to us. So we let it constantly be pouring into our our minds and often don't spend any time reading our scripture, spending time waiting on the Lord, saying, Lord, what do you say about my challenges and issues, right? And the people who who do the, the, the latter are the people who walk in maturity and they're not tossed to and fro. They're constant. They're mature. And that's a sign of maturity. It says uh, that we know, should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. See how that works? It's coming from somewhere. In the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Uh, think about all the adjectives. <laughs> In the cunning craftiness of deceit. It's not obvious sometimes that you're being deceived. That's kind of the point. And he goes on. He says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things, may grow up in all things. How many things? All, right? So everything you, you have need of has been provided for you already. It's, it's, it's accessible and available, but you have to do something to walk into it and receive it, right? So we're going to talk about that. But he says, speaking the truth in love. I've seen people hide behind this doctrine of truth to beat other people up with it, Right? It's legalistic. This is where it's not grace-filled, right? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just telling you straight up because the Bible says speak the truth in love. So the whole idea behind that is love is the environment that truth comes into, right? It doesn't mean that people receive truth when you, even when you speak it in love, but it makes it much more likely for people to receive if they know you love them, right? Which is the picture of, of God in us. It says, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, and, and obviously that's Christ. So the idea is we are the body, right? So a body has a head. Where does the direction come from? My arm says, you know what I want to do? I want to stay up all night, <laughs> right, while the rest of the body is sleeping. Anybody ever have that? And you wake up and the whole arm's tingling. It's like, what in the whole world were you doing all night when everybody else was sleeping, right? That's, it's it's a, a funny way of thinking about what happens when the body decides to do its own thing rather than submit itself to the head, Right? So just try to think about walking for one second and if the big toe decided not to cooperate. You ever, you ever heard about people who've lost their big toe? They literally have to learn how to walk again. So you don't think the toes are important? They're pretty important, right? And this is the picture of the body. So here's, here's what I said earlier. I want to invite you into my world for just a second because this is where I live. I, I am a believer. I'm, the, the role I played, the, 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 uh, the ministry that I have, what God has called me to be, right, I have grace gifts, I move in the manifestation gifts, but I also walk in one of these fivefold ministry gifts. And elders, deacons, those are the leaders that God calls them into these fivefold ministry gifts for what? For the equipping of the saints. But it doesn't stop them from being believers themselves. One of the biggest challenges that we have in ministry is death by a thousand paper cuts. And the reason why is you can get into ministry and you can walk in maturity. And the Bible says, Titus and Timothy, before you're released into one of these roles, before, before God says, I want to release you into deacon, de- deaconship or eldership, I want to tap you on the shoulder and give you this role to play. Before he does that, he says, an elder or deacon must be these things. 
And you know that list in Timothy and Titus is not a list of qualifications for elders. It's a list, it's just a picture of a mature believer. That is all that is. And all that scripture is saying is before you become um, an elder or deacon, before you walk in this role as a leader, you must be these things. Right? Why? Because if you try to minister and equip and do all these things, we're going to get into that in just a second. If you have not dealt with your own sheep needs as a believer, if you have not walked into a level of maturity, you will do more harm than good with the gift that Jesus gave you to be. Because you'll, what you'll do is you'll, you'll preach and teach with this desire that the people approve of you. You'll look for approval. You'll look for affirmation in people. And you can't speak the truth in love because you're so afraid you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. You know, there's a million ways that this can go wrong. So here's a picture of this, Hebrews 13, 17. Have confidence. The, the, I called the NIV the nearly infallible version. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cross between, it's not the best translation, but it's one of the most readable translations, which is why so many people use it. But it has its shortcomings because in any translation, just a quick note for this, in any translation, you run, um, you're on a spectrum from, from readability to accuracy, right? So, so even translations, which is literally translate, you can translate thought for thought, idea for idea, it's very, very difficult to read a translation that is translated word for word. Because so many words, they're out of, they're out of order because of uh, uh, syntax, all kinds of crazy things. But when you move to the other end of the spectrum, you move into um, a, what's called a paraphrase, but it's not a translation. It's somebody's idea of what they think Scripture says. I paraphrase all the time from the front, right? But I go back and say, this is what Scripture, this is why I believe it says that what I'm saying it to be, right? So having said that, this is the NIV. Most other versions with more accuracy, it says, it doesn't say have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. It says obey them. Dear God, <laughs> like, first of all, if you're one of these guys and the scripture says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell these people to obey you, you're going to like, hold up, um, I'm not there yet, Lord, where people need to be obeying me, right? So, and that's good, that's probably wise, because the Bible says you should be. If you're going to, if you're going to step into a role where, where people have confidence in you, if you want to soften it down a little bit, or that they ought to obey what you're teaching and your instructions and, and the challenges you have, then ought you to be a mature believer, right? And so there's some expectations for leadership, and let me just be honest, so often in churches, we haven't done that. We have not honored the expectations where, let me give you an example. We were in a church in Tyler, Texas. I was the associate pastor. I've shared this so many times. I was an associate pastor and an assistant pastor, and to this day, I have no idea what either one of those mean. Because it's not in the Bible, right? There's no such associate. Or, I think it's not the senior pastor. I think that's pretty much what that means, right? And you're the helper kind of thing. Fine, whatever. But here's my point. I'm the associate pastor there, and they start talking about bringing this guy on as a deacon. He had a powerful um, manifestation. He walked in prophecy in amazing ways. He was really accurate when he would prophesy. And so I understood that was one of the qualifi qualifications they were bringing him into the role of deacon. So I raised my hand and I said, what about Timothy and Titus? And it just goes quiet. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we get it, Dave, but we need him. I was like, oh, that's not a recipe for disaster at all. Right? We're going to put somebody in charge 
who's totally not qualified because they either they have a powerful gift. Maybe they're great at prophecy, maybe they're incredible administration, maybe they're a giver and they got a bunch of money, right? Maybe they're a great leader in, in, in aspects of the world. They're, you know, they led a company. Awesome. That's executive leadership. Not at all what biblical government looks like. But, you know, let's put them in there because we don't know any better. And this is my point. So often the problem is people, we're doing things that we ought not be doing because we either don't know or don't care. If, if I'm honest, I don't think it's a don't care. I think it's a hard issue. So often we just don't know or we're thinking about this. There's going to be so much damage here, right? We, we're just, we kind of mitigate that and hope for the best. The Lord will work it out. Can we just maybe have a second and say, is it time maybe for the Lord to work because of us rather than in spite of us? Is that all right? Is that all right to say? Okay. So um, here's what they do. Have confidence or obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Here, when, when I have a challenge for someone in times past where we had to come and bring challenge to someone um, who's doing something that I ought not do in the church, it's very, very rare where we have to come to this place where we're like, hey, listen, you really need to stop doing this. We've asked you, we've, we've, been, we've done all the other things trying to help, and now you've gotten to the place where we're just going to we're gonna have to tell you stop. It, when, when we come to this place, um, here's how we know how they see us. I, I'll say, here's what I need you to do. And I've been kind, as kind as I can to this moment, right? And I get to that point, and they're like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> right? What am I going to do? I do not have executive authority to fire them. You're fired from DCF, right? That would be so cool just to be, you know, you and you and you, and you, you cause it too many trouble. You're, you're super mature. You're fired. Go somewhere else. Go to baby church, whatever that is. I don't know. <laughs> I'm making stuff up now. But here's what happens. When we do this, when we walk in this role, and, and then we try to bring challenge and say, hey, this is, what, this is what Scripture teaches. Here's the expectation. When we do that and they say no, what we have just discovered is they were never submitted to us in the first place. Right? So here's the thing. Submission is not a bad word. It's, it's been made to be a bad word in, in the world now. You know, wives submit to your husbands. You know, husbands love that. Wives don't so much. Right? Um, the problem with that scripture is, one, it's out of context when you just say it that way, because it says another place, submit one to another, right? And then there's another context where, where it talks about the submission has to be in line with other submission. So it says, Jesus is submitted, this is in Corinthians, Jesus is submitted to the Father, your husband is submitted to Jesus, and then you submit to your husband, right? So what does that look like? Well, submission can't be bad because Jesus is doing it. See what I'm saying? And he's God. So I know that can be really challenging, but here's why this is important. Submission, it, there's an expectation of health in submission. I've seen this with wives saying, you know, I have to, the Bible says I have to submit to my husband in all things. And I'm like, it's not saying all things, including sin and all the other foolishness, right? It's, 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 it's challenging you to understand this is a perspective built in health. It's assuming health. Submit to your husband if, if he's doing it well. Now, again, not perfectly. It's not what I'm talking about. But if he comes to you and says, you know what? You shouldn't go to church. Well, I have to submit to my husband, and Jesus will work it out. No, no, because in that moment, he is not submitted to Jesus, so you don't have to submit to him. And if your pastor says something stupid, right, and is not in line with the kingdom, not in line with Scripture, and not in line with the expectations that Scripture teachings, you don't have to do it, and probably you should have a coffee with him and tell him he's doing something messed up. In love, 
<laughs> right? Because <laughs> nobody wants to be beat up on, on a regular basis, right? But here's what I'm saying. If, if we don't understand this, then we don't, like, when you, what does it mean to find a good church? You find a good church, the way you do that is you find a church where the leaders are healthy. I'm not saying perfect. I'm not saying they don't have challenges, but they're healthy, and there is a plurality of elders. In other words, there's more than one person in charge. It's not the tyrant, the one guy at the top who knows everything or who is supremely gifted. And that's been the case in churches in the past. It doesn't mean there isn't one person that Jesus is going to hold responsible for a church. Now let me share something with you. Is this this helpful? I know I'm talking about what's inside my head, but the whole reason for this is if you don't understand this, you don't know how to cooperate with me. You don't know how to submit. You don't know how to grow. You don't know how to walk into the place where now people are submitting to you and we're all growing up in Jesus, right? So um, Revelation chapter uh, one goes through, I think, chapter three, that Jesus starts talking to the, the apostle about the churches in you know, the greater area where churches were planted, Ephesus and all these different ones, the seven churches, right? So he comes to them, and the Bible says, to the, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write these things, right? So he's saying, I want to communicate to the angel of the church. Now, when we read that, because that word says angel, we think it's the heavenly ones, right? But it's not. The Bible uses that same exact Greek word for John the Baptist, who was a messenger sent by God. An angel sent by God, a messenger, right? So again, it's, it's understanding that language where translations sometimes mess it up. When we get into that, the Bible says that, that Jesus comes and he says to the lead guy at the church, he doesn't say to the eldership team, although all of those churches had eldership teams, that plurality of eldership, but he comes to that one guy, he says, I want you to say this to the messenger, the one I'm holding responsible for what is happening in that church, Right? The elders come alongside, but he didn't say to the angels of the church, he said one. Why? And this is what he did. Go back and read it. It's phenomenal. If you want to understand church government, he says, I love this about you. You have done this and this and this and this, and all the churches are different. And then he stops toward the end and he says, however, I have this one thing against you. And one of them, he talks about a doctrine that had arisen from a a deacon that had gone bad that that began to preach something that was untrue in the church, and he had allowed that doctrine to be built and settled in the church. And Jesus said, I have this against you, and if you don't fix this, listen, this is what's so powerful. If you don't fix this, I am going to come and remove the lampstand from this, this church. What did he mean by that? Because right down from that, it says this phrase all throughout this entire passage, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, right? So the Holy Spirit is communicating. This morning when we gathered, what we, what we attempted to do was come and not let you hear a good message from me, although I hope this is going to be helpful. But we came and we gathered. We are the body of Christ. We are the church meeting in this building, right? Choosing to meet choosing to come together. If you are attending a church, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) There's no such thing as attending a church. How can you attend you, right? You take the church everywhere you go, and when you gather together as, as the body, what you do and what you bring makes all the difference in the world. And God is putting all these pieces together to say, this is how I'm doing it. You can do it another way if you want. But if you do it another way, it's not going to work the way I designed it. It's the same thing with marriage. It's the same thing with raising children. Anything that God has designed, if you want to do it differently, go for it. And let me know how that works out for you. 
It will not, I promise you, right, in any form or fashion. So here's this picture now of these elders in this church and the key guy, and he says, I have this against you, and if you don't do this, if you don't fix this, if you don't hear what the Spirit of God is trying to say to the churches and administrate that so the Holy Spirit has reign in his church, if you don't do that, I'm going to come and take my lampstand away, and you're going to have the shell of a church without the voice of the one who makes the church. And so what does that look like in the world? That means there are churches where Jesus is not allowed to participate, where the Holy Spirit is limited. Whole denominations say, we don't believe you you should move in the manifestation gifts. Um, so, So God's like, not a problem. I'll move every other way that you allow me to. Now think about that God would do that. But the challenge to us is, why would you do that when you're, why would you limit God in any form or fashion, right? But here's what's so interesting about this. Now think about this for a second. God put elders in the church. If he was just going to move by his spirit, and we were just going to all gather, and it was just going to be whatever the Holy Spirit wanted to do, why would he put elders in a church? Why would he put parents in, you know, in the lives of their children? If children know what they're doing, I say this all the time to little kids who come up with the little, you know, little snarky, you know, I, I can do this, because they learn this from the culture, right? And they say, so I can, I can do this. I'm like, well, you should get your own apartment then, <laughs> right? You so, man, you are so smart. You should totally quit school right now. Go get your own apartment. You should totally, get a job. What's a job? See, I, I'm just saying, maybe you don't know what you're doing, right? But as parents, we can beat our kids up about that, right? Which often the church leaders will do. Or we can just say, hey, in love, I want to speak truth and I want to challenge you to grow up. But this picture of equippers is so powerful. So let me just say this. What do we give an account for? Because listen to this. It says, um, have confidence or obey in your leaders and submit to their authority because, this is for you, they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy. Do you know you can make your parents' life hell? Did you know that? Some of you guys are going, I totally did that. I know exactly what you're talking about, right? (laughs) You can also make your your leaders' lives hell, right? By not submitting to them. This is what it says. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. Some pastors, unfortunately, are pastoring people, and it's a burden to shepherd some people right? So don't be those people. It goes on, it says, for that would be of no benefit to you. So in other words, if you don't submit to those who are in authority over you, who must, listen, it says, as those who must give an account, it's qualifying the submission. You hear that? So it's saying, you need to submit to those who are over you in the Lord. I remember the first time I heard that scripture, I I felt in my spirit, something's off about that because they didn't finish the sentence. You need to submit to those over you in the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands. Yes. Children, submit to your parents. Yes. Submit to the government. Yes. And all of those things are qualified by something. Listen to what it says, as those who must give an account. So how do we do that? What do we give an account for as, as equippers? So let me just give you five things. What we teach and preach or don't teach and preach. We are accountable as leaders. Now, you are accountable as an individual believer to read the Bible for yourself, to have a vital walk with Jesus yourself. If you are coming to me on Sunday mornings to get fed, you're doing it wrong. 
<laughs> right? There's nothing wrong with feeding the sheep. That's necessary. Feed the lambs. It's talking about youth. And, but there's a time as a believer when you, you're not coming to get something from Jesus on a Sunday morning. You're coming to take what Jesus has put inside of you and you're giving it away to others who need that gift and that ministry, right? So what we teach and preach is what we're giving account for, how and where we lead, how we do it. Are we building up or are we tearing down? Paul, Paul told the, one of the churches, I think it's a Philippian church, he said, I, I've been given authority, same thing, this, this accountability. I've been given authority to build you up, never to tear you down, right? So does that mean you can never challenge somebody? No, because challenging is building up, right? But how you do it is really, really powerful. You don't do it in grace. I mean, all, you, all people ever do is walk away feeling like I, I got beat up this this Sunday morning, and I had it coming. Oh, I had it coming. So there's some, literally, there's some sense of satisfaction that you got beat up this Sunday morning. Yeah, I had that coming. Woo, got a good spanking because I deserved it, right? But But that's not the right way. Is that how your kids ought to feel every day when they go off to school? Dear Lord, I hope not, right? So how we, when, what we, where we lead, the example we, we model. This is, Paul said this. He said, you know my manner of life. You know my pattern. You know how I relate. This is what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, here's how you find a good church. Sit down with the pastor. Sit down with the elders. Sit down with the leaders of the church. Go talk to Galen and Karen. What are you teaching the kids? Right? What, if you don't know an example, if you don't know how Karen and I live, if you've never been to our home, if you've never had lunch with us, if you've never seen us in a challenge or a heartache, or, God forbid, seen Karen and I angry with each other, <gasps> I mean, I know that, that that happens to other pastors and their wives, not Karen and I. I'm just using it as an example of what could happen. If you've never seen that and you've never seen how we have worked that out and are still married after 30-something years and love each other and are, are, both of us are our favorite people, but there are times I want to poke her in the eye and I'm, she does the same, with, right? So the issue is not we never, we never get it wrong. The issue is... We have an example that we model. I remember 13 years ago, Greg and Michelle are coming in, in, in just a little while. 13 years ago, um, he got up to install at us as the lead elders of this church, right? We sat on one side, the other can't remember. And I remember he said something that I, I was like, I, didn't, I knew he was going to say some version of this, but when he said it, I really didn't like it because this is what he said. He said, obey them and submit to them. He goes, they have to give account. He said, but... They're, do what they do. Model their life, how they pray, how they think, how they process, how they minister, how they love. Do what they do. And I was like, could you just maybe not say that next time, right? Because <laughs> the, the weight of it can feel overwhelming. But the point of it was, is it was ours to do, not because we were perfect, but because Greg's not going to install us as elders if we weren't mature in the first place, right? And again, that's the challenge of growing up in, in spiritual maturity is so often we want to hear what pastors say, so we listen to them online. Listen, I love to listen to powerful communicators online. I love it. They're amazing. But if that's your church, you misunderstand church because you don't know what their life is like. Isn't it funny how like there's always this surprise where some great leader has this terrible fall and everybody's like, we never saw that coming. The elders saw it coming. You know why? Because the elders saw them at their best and at their worst and the challenge they had. They saw it coming. They either were not empowered to do something about it or they were fearful or he had such a powerful gift that he intimidated everybody. Look, you want your pastors to be powerful. 
but you also want to be submitted to someone greater than them, right? And you want them to be healthy. So we have to model that. And if they're not doing it, or better yet, if you are trying to attend a church and you don't know what your pastors are like, you're doing it wrong. So maybe you're like, they're a big church. How am I ever going to have dinner with the pastor? Put it on his calendar. Say, hey, if you, you know, in six months, could we have dinner with you? He's like, six months? Yeah. Six, maybe, hopefully it doesn't take that long. He'll say, well, maybe, you know, I can do it in three or four weeks. Awesome. Let's have dinner. I'll, I'll pay for it. Why are you doing that? Ask him questions. Because this is important. And it's why so often churches get it wrong and they end up damaged. Number four, the expectations we have and create. I created an expectation for everybody to serve in ministry back there. That table's been up there for three weeks. We said again this morning, if you're not serving in a grace team and you call yourself a regular attender, a member of DCF, why not? I'm in a season. Your season has lasted eight years. When is the season going to be over? See what I'm saying? Don't make it difficult for, for your leaders. I, I create an expectation to do that. We're, we're coming up on community groups. Diane's doing a phenomenal job of leading us in community groups and, and, and having a leader in place. Man, it helps so much more to just deal with all the nuances, new leaders, and all the things that happen. But she can't lead something if you're not in it. We can't make it better if you're not in it. So as community groups come up, if you say to me, I am too busy for community groups, I'm going to say to you, you are too busy. Well, it's a season. (laughs) Okay, it's a season. That's fine. If it's a legitimate season, I'm happy with that. I'm fine, but it better be. Because here's the thing. It's not because I want to beat you up, but because if you don't do what we have created expectations what leaders have created, we're not creating expectations because you know what? One day I'm going to be in small group magazine as the most effective small group church that ever existed. My name's going to go up in lights. I'm going to be at the conferences. <laughs> that is not why we're asking you to be in community groups because the world pushes back. I don't, anybody notice over the last two or three years this little thing called isolation? Anybody see? Any, any, I mean, it's super subtle. You have to look hard, right? I wonder if that was a plan from the enemy. For the whole world, right? And the answer is, of course it was. But we were doing a pretty good job of it before COVID. We're doing an even better job of it now. We make excuses. We create all kinds of reasons why we can't do it. And I'm just, look, I know maybe right now it's going to be tough. Maybe you can't sign up for a community group coming up. But I want to challenge you. Community groups are going to happen again, coming soon, right? It happens on a regular basis. Grace teams are always available to you. My question to you is, why are you not doing this? If we are creating expectations that are biblical expectations, why aren't we doing the things that we ought to do? And the answer to that, if we're honest, is we're trying to justify reasons to not be vulnerable. I'm a little bit afraid. Those are all spiritual maturity issues that you've got to get a handle on. I don't want to be vulnerable. Why? Because I know what somebody, the greatest compliment that I get on a regular basis is, I'll say something to somebody and then I say, I knew you were going to say that. And I was like, Yes, another win. Why? Consistency. And what's really powerful is when I talk to another leader and that same person said that to them. You know, you're, you're saying exactly the same thing Dave and Karen say. You're saying exactly what Alan and Diane say. You're, and I'm like, I'm, I wonder why, <laughs> right? And the answer is because we're creating expectations not from our own ideas and design, but from Scripture so that we can walk into the power of it. So last one, um, how we pray for you. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but uh, Karen does this so much better than me. Some of that's gifting, and that's fine. 
But like I said, just because we talk about this in grace gifts, just because it's difficult or you don't have the gift for it doesn't mean that you, you don't need to do it. It's just more difficult for you. Like someone who has the gift of hospitality, it's easy for them to have people in their home. Someone who doesn't have the gift of hospitality, it's harder to have people in their home, but if you're, if you're a believer, it's required of you. God's saying, I, you need to be hospitable if you have the gift of hospitality. Nope. <laughs> Regardless, it's just easier if you have it, right? So the same thing is true in praying for people. I, I, I struggle to pray for people. Maybe that's what you say. Well, I would just challenge you and say, okay, that's fine. Learn, grow, get better at it. Get, get around people who, who know how to pray, not just who can, but who know how to do it biblically. So one of the things you find, this happens all the time in the church in, in the South, and we recognize this as the culture as soon as we moved down here. We were in Birmingham. We thought we were in the South in Birmingham. Ooh, did we get an education coming even further South, right? So one of the things is um, we'll pray for you. That's goodbye in Southern lingo, right? You're about ready to leave somebody's house. We'll pray for y'all. They ain't praying for you. <laughs> probably not praying for you. They're just saying goodbye in Southern vernacular, right? Because here's what happens. Someone starts talking about a challenge in their life, a sickness or something happened, and it happens with Karen and I all the time, especially with people who don't even believe in Jesus. And they'll start talking, and either I or Karen will look at them and go, could we pray for you right now? And the look in their eyes of like, are we going to get naked? Because it's vulnerability, right? And, and the answer is, yeah, metaphorically speaking. Because if you get, if you're past, no, I'm not even go there. But here's the thing. I, <laughs> when we say this, the look in people's eye is they do not expect us to pray for them. Nobody expects anybody to pray for them. So how we pray for people matters tremendously. Why? Because first of all, we're actually praying We're actually saying, hey, let's take a minute and acknowledge that this is bigger than you and I, and we need help from on high, right? Here's a thought. So so we're going to trust in the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit while we're praying. We're going, God, if you'll give me a word of knowledge, if you give me a scripture, if you give me some direction, whatever, I will will pray for them. Whatever you're saying, I will say what you're saying to them. That's a way that God manifests his power in people's lives. And often their lives are literally changed in that moment, right? And so when you do that, this is what we're doing. We're creating not just... That we should pray, but how we pray? Are we praying biblically? One of my favorite, one of my f- favorite problems in the church that we've done everything we can in our culture to, to challenge was this: um, if it's the Lord's will, this is what we pray. Lord, if if it's your will, would you heal them? So the Bible says, "Pray with faith." Right? Is that a prayer of faith? No. Because why would, if you're going to go, you know what, don't know if God's going to heal you, so I'll just be praying. Fine, whatever, do that. But if you go to them and you say to them, if it's the Lord's will, what you have done is you have taught them through prayer that it might or might not be the Lord's will to minister to them in healing or any other arena, if it's the Lord's will. And we so often don't know we do, we're doing that because, we're again, we're not accountable as leaders and we're preaching and teaching some things and, and we're creating expectations that are not biblical in any form or fashion. So this is a big one. How we pray for you is not just that you should pray, but it's a model. And again, we are, we're not perfect, but one of the things I love at our church when we're ever in a setting where new people come in and, and we're in a prayer setting and they pray some prayer that is not grace-filled, right? If it's, if it's God, you know, you're a little bit angry and, you know, we had this coming and we deserve it because we're just sinners saved by grace. You know, whatever they pray, the moment they hit into that place where it moves into legalism out of grace, everybody, I watched this happen a million times, everybody in the room who's part of DCF culture 
opens their eyes and looks at them and then looks at me. <laughs> like, are you going to do something about that? And, and, and my answer is, yeah, look at, I created a culture where you know it's wrong. You do something about that, <laughs> right? And so we're probably not, just so you know, we're probably not going to do anything right in that moment, right? Because what we're not going to do is embarrass and do any of those things. I mean, unless it's crazy wrong or something like that, we'll step in. But most of the time what we do is we come around and we present to them the truth in love, right? So I got, I got more, and I'll get into it next week. But let me just share this, at, uh, and I'll, I'll wrap it up. So how does God do everything that he does? It's like the, the, uh, the number 42, right? The universe and uh, for you sci-fi fans. It's, it's the universe and everything in it, right? How does God do what he, do, what he does? So the answer to that is real simple. I won't keep you in suspense. It's through relationships. Five-fold ministry gifts are five, not one, right? The grace gifts are many. There's so many of them we, it, it, we run out of fingers to count on, right? The manifestation gifts, there's many. The church, who is the church? All of us, right? There is no one person. That, he says where two or more are gathered, why go out two by two everywhere you see it, a man and a woman, a family. <clears throat> everywhere you see this, God says, everything I'm going to do in the earth, I'm going to do it through relationships. So why is that important? A couple reasons. Um, First of all, God designed this to build the society. He built a mom and a dad. Now think about this for a second. The best way for a little boy to grow up is not with just a dad. You would think he's, he's going to be masculine. He's a boy. We don't need mom in the picture. She's just going to cloud the matter. He's going to mess with his masculinity. You know, it's like we don't need. Let's just have the dad raise the boy. Is that how God designed it? What about a little girl? You know what, you know what a little girl doesn't need is a bearded man telling her what to do. Right? It doesn't, what we don't need are men. That's just kind of, the, that's the, kind of the wisdom of the world right now. Men are just, you know, they're the oldest kid. And unfortunately, men have started acting like that, which is why so often that's the case. But maybe men should just stand up and go, um, you don't get to talk to me like that. Right, that's, a, that's another sermon for another day. But here's why this is so important. God said the best way to raise a little girl or a little boy or a combination thereof is all the masculinity in the world and all the femininity in the world put together into that child. And that is what brings up a child in a healthy, beautiful way. Now, God, can, he can fix things that we've broken or has been broken against us. So if you're single and you're raising a child, God can, he can meet all your needs. He can bring that in from other places. He can do that. But his original design is this is the right way to do it. That child grows up, and at some point you say, I'm not teaching them how to be a good human or, or, or a good kid. I'm teaching them how to father their own kids or mother their own kids, right? So a kid learns about all the things of the world, but he also learns about what a relationship ought to look like. Same thing with a pastor in the fivefold ministry. The people who watch this ministry ought to look at that and go, that's what God's trying to do in me, and it's a good thing, right? So relationship, lastly, drives maturity. So God does everything through relationship. Every vision, every, every call on your life, everything that he's doing in you, he's doing it through relationship. So if you isolate yourself, you literally hinder the move of God in your life. If you, if you don't, the Bible says to don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together, as some do, right, as the day approaches. Why did he say that? Because he's like, you know, I'm just a stickler. I think everybody should be at a certain spot on Sunday morning so I can keep track of them, <laughs> right? Is that what he's doing? Or does it have something to do with being a part of the church is literally God's design, and we get something from 
being in relationship with one another, and we give something to being in relationship with one another. So here's the thing. It brings you what you need so your needs are met, but it also causes you to be sharpened. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So here's an interesting story, and I'll close with this. Um, most of us know the story of Lazarus, right? He's, um, he's Jesus, basically Jesus' best friend. He lives pretty close to Jerusalem. Um, he lives in a little town called Bethany. You read the story, Jesus is always finding a reason to be in Bethany because he's celebrated there, he's loved there, his friendship is there, right? He's got his disciples and he loves them, but they're children, <laughs> right? And something about Lazarus, his, his friend, and Jesus, he literally calls him his friend. Something about that relationship and the relationship in that home with Lazarus and his sisters, it's, it does something for Jesus. So he's there all the time. Go look at it. Just, just read, look up the word Bethany. He's always finding a reason to be in Bethany. So he's off ministering. He's doing what he's been called to do. He's right in the middle of this. And the story, the people come and they say, hey, Lazarus is really, really sick, um, and he's probably going to die. And so Jesus, with everything inside of his heart, you can see it. He wants to go be with him, but he has a ministry where the scripture, he teaches this later on because he does it himself. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will get added. Right? So Jesus doesn't go meet a need that in his physical and his soulish and his, and his emotions desperately wants to go and just be with him, but he's, he's about his father's business. Remember he said that when he was 12 years old. Did you not know I mean, it was a challenge to, the, to his mom and his dad and the leaders of the, he said, did you not know what I was going to be doing? Surely you know by now who I am, right? And so in this moment, of course, the story goes, Lazarus dies. Jesus comes, shortest verse uh, in the Bible, Jesus wept, right? He was deeply moved emotionally. So he felt what the world felt in the deepest possible way, and it was tempted in the deepest possible way to be angry at his father for not having rescued him. You could have saved him. He could have, he could have railed against the father, and he did not do it, right? What he did was he wept. He felt the emotion of it, and then he said something powerful. He didn't say, arise. Had he said that, everybody would have got up, <laughs> right? That day's coming when he's going to say that, and he's not going to choose a name. And we're all going to get up, whether we died in the ocean or wherever, we're getting up. He said, Lazarus, arise. He spoke right to him, and he said he got up. And here's what's so powerful about this and why I wanted to end on this. Something happened in that grave. He'd been dead for a day. The, the Bible says, surely he stinketh, my favorite King James verse ever. Surely he stinketh by now, right? <laughs> and he did. Decay had already set in, and the power of Jesus' words not just stop the decay, but reversed it. And here's what happened. He came back to life in a tomb. That was probably surprising for Lazarus, don't you think? But here's what happened. The Bible said somehow or another, Lazarus comes walking out of the grave. But here's what's so significant about this. He was still in his grave, grave clothes. They had wrapped him with spices as part of what did, which is why he didn't stinketh worse, right? And so he's wrapped up like a mummy, basically, in his gauze. And, and he comes hobbling out, still wrapped in his grave, grave clothes. And this is what Jesus said. Now, here's the picture of the church. Born again experience with Lazarus. Arise. Come back from the dead. Uh, you, you were dead, and now you are alive in Christ. This is the picture, right? You were alive. He comes stumbling out of the tomb. Let me say this. Nobody can walk out of the tomb for you but you. You have to decide 
what Jesus means in your life. You have to decide, is he the Messiah? Did he raise from the dead? You have to make a decision about what you're going to do with Jesus. Everybody on the planet will do that at some point or, or not, right? But he came out of the grave on his own. He stepped out on his own. But listen to what happened next. Jesus looks to the family around him and says, loose that man and let him go. So what's the role of relationship? What's the role of all these ministries, the fivefold, the gifts? Why is it that God does everything through relationship? I don't have a clue. <laughs> the primary reason is because he is a triune God. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He didn't make us so that he could have somebody. He already had somebody. He made us because he loved us and he wanted to bless us and give everything and inheritance to us. That's what he did. But it was never designed to be an only child kingdom. So you have to come out of the grave on your own power. Nobody, Jesus is the only one who can speak life, but you have to decide to come out of that grave. But you cannot take the grave clothes off alone. And so Jesus comes to you and says, I want you to be with others. Listen, I want you to really be with people. Unselfish fellowship. That means you don't just get to pick and choose who you want to be friends with in the church. You do, but you still have to love and minister to the people that you aren't even in, in friendship with. You understand what I'm saying? That's what Jesus calls us to do. So here's the thing. This, expectations we're creating, you can do it or not. It's up to you. You decide what you're going to do with the knowledge you're given. Somebody said the difference between knowledge and wisdom is knowledge is what you know. Wisdom is what you do with what you know. So part of the equipping ministry of, of, that God puts in your midst is people speaking life into you, challenging you, loving you, giving you grace and mercy, coming alongside. Putting, uh, they challenge you, and you either say no or yes, and you grow or you don't grow. But here's what you need to understand. The only thing I'm accountable to as an equipper is to equip. I have my own responsibility for coming out of the grave myself. There's, there's, also only, there's certain things only I can do for me. And there are certain things that only you can do for you. I'm accountable to you for all the things that I said to equip you, to release you, to, to give expectations, create expectations in your life, to love you deeply, to challenge you, to be a model and an example to you. That's on me to do, and I have to give an accountability for that. But you have to give an accountability for what you've heard us all say and what you're going to do with that in your life and what other believers have come alongside you and said. That's on you. That's not heavy. I'm just saying that some of us have forgotten that I have a personal responsibility to do something with what Jesus is saying. So, why don't you stand? So, let me say this as I pray for you. What has Jesus said to you that you said no? For whatever reasons, maybe you don't understand it, maybe you don't believe it, maybe you don't like it. There's a million reasons why you might say no. But part of that is you don't really believe he's good. If, if Jesus says, hey, I want to I uncover some things that are going to, it's going to be a little bit um, frightening, right? You're going to have to deal with some of your fear. You're going to de deal with some of the challenges. You're going to have to make some changes in your life. You're going to have to let go of some relationships, and you're going to have to take on some relationships. Well, you know, I'm an introvert. Well, that's, that's fine. It's just going to be harder for you. I'm an extrovert. Well, that's fine. You're just going to have to not talk as much, <laughs> right? We all got our challenges. But I just, want to, I just want to say this to you. First of all, God, there's an expectation that you can do this right? He's calling us up. He's saying, I have an inheritance for you. And all the things that he challenges us to do is not so he can be a spoil sport in our life,
but so that he can release the fullness of the stature of the maturity of Jesus. He can release all of the inheritance that he has for the saints into you and I, but he does it a certain way, and you have to do it his way or, or not. But you get to choose. Amen? So this week, whatever the Lord's been talking to you specifically about, would you make a decision not to just go, I know, Lord, I know. <laughs> we always say that. But would you say something different and say, I'm going to do something about that, Lord. I'm, I'm beginning today. I'm beginning this week to do something about that. So Jesus, thank you. Lord, I, I love to see how you ministered in Scripture. Lord, you brought such incredible grace. But Lord, it was always, always um, countered with challenge or it was brought with challenge. It always came together. And so, Lord, you, you give us love, an environment of love, Lord, because you bring us truth. And, Lord, that environment of love helps us take that truth and do something with it so we can grow up and become mature uh, and walk in all the inheritance that you've given us. So, Jesus, we just say thank you, even for the hard things. In your name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, our team will be up here. We'd love to pray for you. Also, if you want to be part of this team up here, there's a place back there you can sign up. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Have a great week.